0: You're listening to Caffeine Boost, produced by Allianz PNB Life. Good morning everyone! Welcome to the 20th episode of Caffeine Boost. Candice, Emma, magandang umaga!
1: Good, good morning,
2: morning Giselle and Emma. Good morning, Candice. Grabbing yeah. oh, a miss twentieth episode. it's been a
0: while. Been a while <laughs> no, before we got been... to the booth again and uh, see each other or yeah. <laughs> each other, talk to each other on yes. this booth.
1: I, I know, and so... busy. <laughs> Absolutely, and there must be a good reason why we all gathered again in the tech booth, right? For oh, definitely, <laughs>
0: definitely. You know why this episode that we are going to release is a special episode because it's a live webinar recording about health needs planning. Something that really, really resonated with personally.
2: Mm. Yes, Mm -hmm. and we are very privileged to get John Merida once again. Oh,
1: and I know. this time... <laughs> Magnificent. This time,
2: talagang, alam mo, Josel, Candice, Nando naman kayo nung nag-conduct ng webinar. A- oh ako God, parang, yes. halos yeah. naiyak ako talaga kasi, grabe yung realizations ko that mm. ako nga eh, diba na, uh, employee, um, secured ang job, but, and yet, marami akong na-realize that, you know, um, what I have to prepare for really in terms of my health, diba, and the future, that's so,
1: right. yeah, mm-hmm. nakakakilabot. a goosebumps, but at least... There's uh, a lot of things uh, that we learned
3: That's from true.
1: that webinar with John Merida. And speaking about health planning, guys, of na missed it on right? <laughs> and one of the things that I heard is that cancer is the major leading causes, or one of the major leading causes of death here in the Philippines. Uh-oh. And did you mm-hmm. know that you can reduce the risk of alcohol related cirrhosis with coffee consumption? Papano? Oh, yeah, but, I think I read that. Coffee. Did ah? You read about that. Yes. So if you are an alcohol lover, no, just make sure that you drink two cups of coffee a day because it can reduce the risk by at least 43%.
0: Malaki yun,
1: hmm. Yes, definitely. So, so it's remember? a boost for your immunity ah uh, oh oh definite so pag uminang ka ng, ng alcohol make sure uh, it exchange mo two two cups of coffee I mean, <laughs> that's
2: nice interesting kan yeah. desa ah.
0: but it's not okay. like when people treat the uh, diet soda or sugar free soda na pwede na silang kumain ng pinakamaraming kani ng cups of rice or bread dahil hindi ganun. <laughs>
1: Totoo but
2: naman. but yeah. <laughs> actually it's always in yeah I think it's always in moderation naman even the coffee
0: the drink should be in moderation that's right that's yes. why in health but above it or more important related to health is the health needs planning aspect of Filipinos and Filipino families
2: yeah if you would remember Giselle Jong discussed that with us or shared um, his knowledge on that during our second episode oh. ang tagal na noon. yeah
0: yeah six months ago.
1: Yes. That was six months ago, na, oh. and are mm-hmm. still our top downloaded um, episode in That's Caffeine real. Boost. Tama ba <laughs> yes. The number
0: one most downloaded episode of all. for well, tagal na natin, ano, <laughs> In the history of <laughs> Caffeine Boost.
2: More will be elaborated in this webinar. So I guess oh. excited that our listeners to listen, no? and to know more on um, healthy planning. So wag natin pa. Friends, enjoy the live webinar with Mr. Jong Merida.
3: I'd like for you to know, particularly if you're new in the industry, that the job of the financial advisor really is to take his client from where he is Financially, to his desired financial destination. It's not, it's not to sell insurance. It's not to sell healthcare. We are invested in the financial outcome of the life of our client. Now, here's one thing I'd like you to know now. Back before 2002, there was no such thing as a financial advisor. What we had back then were insurance agents. And, and if you ask insurance agents what their jobs were, the answer would have been, I am in the business of securing the future of orphans and widows. That was the job, uh, And insurance is largely a way to minimize loss and allow people, the same orphans and widows, to go on living, even if the breadwinner was taken out of the picture, okay? Now, so what happened in 2002 that changed the way this game is played? What happened? Why did we, all of a sudden have a financial advisor in 2002. And before that, all we had were insurance agents. Okay. So this is what happened. They introduced a product called the DUL. Uh, so what, what is DUL? DUL stands for Variable Universal Life, or if you're coming from a different company, this variable unit link. But what that product essentially does is it puts together insurance and investment in one instrument. And why does that change the game? See, prior to 2002, when all we had were traditional insurance policies, insurance and its role were nearly confined to minimizing cost or loss. But what does investment do? Investment, on the other hand, maximizes revenue. So when you put together those two functions of maximizing revenue and minimizing cost at the same time in a single instrument, you are actually creating profit. That's how you do business, right? You maximize revenue, you minimize cost, you create profit. And so the mandate of the financial advisor shifted from merely minimizing cost or loss to creating a profit. And so our job took on a different definition. From merely securing the future of orphans and widows, now our job, is to create a bottom line for our clients. So what does that mean? Our job primarily is to make our clients wealthy. That's the job of the financial advisor. And that's the reason why your mandate is to take your client from where he is right now, regardless of what that place is, to his desired financial destination. That is the journey of wealth. And that is your job, Guy. And therefore, if your job is to make your clients wealthy, the question to ask inevitably is, who should be your first client? The answer, obviously, is yourself, right? And therefore, if you are to do your job and to do your job well, you should be able to do for yourself what you are supposed to do for others. And if you don't know how to do this, if you can't even perform the basic function of improving your financial life, as financial advisors, then the question inevitably is what business do you have doing this for others if you can't do it for yourself? Right? So let me be very clear about the role of the financial advisor. Or not. We may not have been oriented, we may not have been acquainted with that role, but if you are to live up to the tenets of the title financial advisor, then you will understand that it will be a lifelong journey of guiding and shepherding your client from where he is to where he wants to go. That is your job. And you start with yourself. So here we are right now. No? We are in very difficult time financially at least. And uh, I'll give you a very quick rundown of what's going on economically in our country. With the pandemic having seized control of our wallets and our economic lives, huh? So it is said that the total growth of 2019 over 2018 has been completely erased. That's gone. Huh? In other words, whatever modest or significant gains our economy has seen in 2019 over the previous year has been completely erased by the pandemic. And here's the colotidia, guys. Huh? You know that we, we contracted The economy contracted by 16.5% in the second quarter. Now, it is said, depending on who you're listening to, that if the third and the fourth quarters do not register a massive improvement, then we will see the economy go back to the size of the 2016 economy. 2016. So this is a problem. You know why? Because we are about to end the third quarter. And we all know that in the middle of the third quarter, we actually were locked down again. So we're not looking at a massive improvement. In fact, again, depending on who you're listening to, the forecast for the remaining third and fourth quarters is a negative 6.7. That's a lot better than the negative 16.5, but that's not gonna pull us back to where we were before the pandemic, no. So we are looking at tough times, guys. And tough times require tough people. And that's what you're being asked to be, okay? So here. If indeed the economy contracts by 6.7%, the forecast is we're going to be losing a trillion pesos of money in circulation from the economy in 2021. Sorry, that's 2021. What does that mean? That's a trillion pesos of food not eaten or bought. That's a trillion pesos worth of transportation not being taken. That's a trillion pesos worth of tuition not being paid. That's a trillion pesos worth of insurance premiums not being bought. And when these things are not happening, you can imagine a slump in the demand for goods and services translates to people not getting jobs. And jobs is the ultimate multiplier in the economy. So when people lose their jobs and people don't find jobs, you're going to have a lot of people encountering extreme financial difficulties. No? And here's the problem. If indeed the economy goes back to the size of 2016, it's like you, back in 2016, you were single. Now, let me give you an analogy. No? If you were single in 2016, you're probably earning 25,000, 30,000 a month. And you only had to support yourself. Now, you had no one else to worry about. But in 2016, you decided to get married, okay? And along the way, you decided to have kids. So fast forward to 2020. Now you have a family, two, three kids with a wife. Your income's probably $100,000. you are living in a bigger house. And then when the pandemic strikes, your income is back to $30,000. Only problem is now you have four other mouths to feed, a bigger mortgage to pay, And a lot more expenses to spend to keep up the same life that you are now used to in 2020. That's what the country will go through. Why? Because in 2016, we had 7 million less people than what we have in 2020. But now you're going to have an economy going back to the size of 2020, but needing to support 7 million more people than it used to in 2016. So here's the forecast, guys. The country. Is going to be sick for a while. And so here is the question to you as a financial advisor. Your job is no different from, from being a doctor. It is to guarantee that your patients remain financially healthy. Your client, if a doctor's job is to maintain medical and physical health for patients, your job is to maintain financial health for your clients. So how do we go about the business of doing that now? So let me walk you through very briefly. If, if you're a physician, if you're a doctor, and a patient comes to you complaining of something, what's the first thing that you will do? Normally, in the course of diagnosing a patient, the first thing you do is establish baselines. Baselines. You probably take the blood pressure. You take the temperature. And, and you will gauge this against standards, right? Like What's your blood pressure? And you know that it's 120, 80. That would be normal, Uh, depending on the age, probably 130, 90. You're looking at temperature. Temperature nowadays, very important, because that's the harbinger of whether you have the dreaded COVID disease or not. Anything about 37 is worrisome. The heart rate, right? The respiratory rate. Guys, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And one of the more insidious traits of COVID so you actually still feel well when the damage inside is already putting your life in danger. And that's the reason why you should have a pulse oximeter at home. If you're not familiar with a pulse oximeter, it actually takes your oxygen saturation from your finger. So a lot of people have died not knowing that they had a very bad case of pneumonia. Because your oxygen saturation in your blood is not supposed to go down below ninety five in the oximeter. But people who don't have oximeters at home have actually seen their blood saturation go down to 60, 65, 70. And they did not know it because they were still feeling well. That's the problem with COVID, right? And so if you're a doctor, what you'd like to establish are baselines. And on the basis of the deviation from the standards of the baselines, you will proceed and tell your patient, this, I believe, is what is wrong with you. We have the same health check. If you're a financial advisor, no. And what are these baselines? What are these vitals that we check? First, we look at just two things. No, first is we check cash flow. Cash flow. If you are experiencing cash flow difficulties right now, if your ability to earn income is impaired, you are in immediate financial danger. Right? Unfortunately, as financial advisors and planners, we are not in the business of the here and now. We are in the business of the future being addressed today, correct? So many people who may have seen their incomes disappear or become impaired will need immediate help and resuscitation, but typically will not find that from us because we are not going to be in a position to infuse cash into their sagging finances right away. We are not in the business of providing that kind of instrument. Now, maybe some people can extend loans, but that's not our business, right? So if you encounter someone, and he says he is in financial difficulty, the extent of his difficulty will be determined by whether that difficulty is experienced today or sometime in the future, because the second measure is the net worth. Some people, May not be financially impacted by the pandemic right now because they may have put something away a little bit for the future that can tide them over a certain period of time. No. Maybe you will see people realize the importance of uh, emergency funds now. I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, many people in this country do not take the advice of putting up an emergency fund seriously. Uh, And there's a reason for that, guys, by the way. Um, Unlike in other countries where there are institutions dedicated to providing a social safety net, like like, uh, social security and welfare, uh, in this country, wala tayong ganon. But somehow we managed to cope. In fact, I used to be working for the the Asian Development Bank, and, and they've always wondered how we Filipinos can survive in the absence of safety nets. And we have an informal social safety net, by the way, that comes in the form of your neighbors, it comes in the form of your relatives, of your friends, colleagues in the office. So these are the supports, informal as they may be, that we often fall back on when times are tough. But now we're experiencing this difficulty that applies to everybody. And so you will find out that people generally will have difficulty maintaining the same kind of lifestyle that they're used to now. Net worth, on the other hand, is the measure of long-term financial health. Can what you have put away sustain you over the long term? And you know what? If you do your job as a financial advisor, the whole idea is somebody should be able to create a net worth that at some point will allow him to say, tomorrow when I wake up, I don't need to worry about another day of work for the rest of my life. Because if your net worth is sufficient to sustain you until you're dead, you know the definition of that? You have become financially independent. You have become rich. You can retire. The moment the net worth is adequate or sufficient enough to sustain you until the last day of your life without you suffering from any diminution or step back in the quality of your lifestyle, you can retire. So that is our job, guys. That's our job, to take our clients to that level when we can actually tell them you have succeeded in arriving at your ultimate financial destination, you can now retire. That's our job. That's the end of the journey. Okay, so in order for net worth to be built, in order for net worth to be built, you must have the ability to create a surplus in your budget. Now, here's the problem. Ninety-seven percent of all households in this country do not have a household budget. Why is that a problem? Many people will say it's a problem because that means you may overspend. That means you don't know where your money is going, but the immediate significance of not having a budget is you're telling me right away, I will know right away that you actually have no target for the bottom line. And if you have no target for the bottom line, you cannot save, right? If you have no target for the bottom line, there will be no bottom line. And if there's no bottom line, you cannot save. And if you cannot save, what makes you think you can invest? And if you cannot invest, you think you can be rich? No. You think you can be financially independent? No. You think you can retire? No. So, as simple an instrument as a household budget is a key to wealth because it tells you how much must be achieved in the bottom line in order for you to build that over time through savings and investments. To the point where it's big enough to completely replace you as the source of your income and allow you to live comfortably. So that's the financial objective of every financial advisor. To get the client to create a bottom line sufficient over a certain period of time to build the desired net worth needed for him to retire. So there are two ways to do that, guys. Very simple, very simple. These are Fundamental concepts, I know you know this already, but I was told that maybe it will be helpful to remind you because there are some people who are new in the business and maybe encountering these terms for the first time. There will be no technical terms here. I'll make sure that you understand this completely, and I'm going to relay this to you in a manner that will allow you to replicate the experience to your client. Okay? So, there are only two ways to create a surplus in your budget. And what is that? Number one, you maximize revenue. How do you do that? You earn more. You earn more. How do you earn more? Either you earn more from your work or you earn more because your your investments are earning more for you. So when you maximize revenue, you're talking about investments, you're talking about salary, you're talking about dividends, and that's not our topic for today. The other way, and by the way, this is not an either or, no, you need both. You must maximize revenue, but you must also minimize cost. Minimize cost. And how do you minimize cost? Now, many people have this notion that minimizing cost is merely cutting back on spending. But that's not true. No. In fact, today we're going to talk about the science of minimizing cost. That's our topic for today. No? So how do we minimize cost? First, we need to understand what goes into the costs of living our life. What are we spending on in the business of keeping ourselves and our family in a lifestyle that we are accustomed to and we are comfortable in? Oh, there are two types of costs. Right? There are, number one, what you call the foreseeable and the controllable costs. Ito yung mga binibili nyo every day. Yung mga Starbucks na binibili nyo, yung mga sapatos na binibili nyo yung mga kain-kain sa labas, yung mga travel-travel sa ibang bansa. These are foreseeable and controllable, right? And if you would like for those costs to go down, the intervention typically will come in the form of education. What is the impact of overspending on your long-term viability? And you will implement behavioral interventions. No, so, you the yung mga... You must have one one envelope for this particular expense and another for that. These are behavioral, okay? However, the impact of behavioral and education interventions in our lives may not be as significant as ensuring that the unforeseen and uncontrollable costs are addressed, right? Sure, you're going to have your lives improved with Fewer Starbucks being bought. But there are costs you say, that are unforeseen and uncontrollable that can financially ruin your family if you don't address them. I know you know them already, Deva. and this is when risk management comes in. And many of us must be experts at this. Guy. Okay. The fact that you're licensed means that you are risk professionals, correct? You're risk professional. Licensed. The insurance agent. So let me ask you this. Let me ask you, what is the definition of risk? To be a risk professional, to be able to manage the risk of your clients in order for them to minimize the cost and allow them to create wealth, you need to be familiar with the definition of risk. So, my question is, how do you define risk? What's the definition of risk? Who among you here can tell me what's the definition of risk? Okay, there it is. Unexpected event, that lead to cost, exposure to loss, loss of value, uncertainty. Very good. Okay, let me tell you the meaning of risk, guys. In order for risk to be present, there must be two elements present at the same time. Okay, what are these two elements? Number one, number one is uncertainty uncertainty simply means that you do not know how things are going to turn out right but uncertainty by itself is not a risk because the second element must be present for risk to be present and what's the second element It's the potential for loss the potential for adverse consequence if you want to sound technical about it you want to sound like you know, um, very eloquent to your clients, you can use that. Potential for adverse consequence, adverse being a bad consequence, okay? So these two must be present in order for risk to be present. If there's just uncertainty but no potential for loss, there's no risk. If there is a potential for loss but there's no uncertainty, there's no risk, right? Those two must be present. That is the definition of risk. So going by the definition, my question to you is this. Is there risk in life? Okay. So, guys, thank you for your answers, yes, but let me bring you back to the definition, okay? Risk says there must be uncertainty. And in life, there's no uncertainty. We are guaranteed to die, right? No question about that. No one has come out of this holding alive and say that's not true. All of us at some point are going to die. And so the second element, potential for adverse consequence, is not even a potential. It's a guarantee that we will encounter an adverse consequence at some point, and that is we are going to die. So why do you say there is risk in life? Why? Is there really risk in life? Going by the definition, huh? the definition is, There must be uncertainty and there must be a potential for loss. But my question is, is there risk in life? And you said, yes. Going by that definition, the answer is no. So here's my question. Where is the risk in life? Now, since I can't see their answers, Emma, you may have to read them for me. And I'd be very interested to know what they have to say about it.
2: May because you're uncertain, when will you die? disability is a risk because we don't know when it's going to happen risk of the unknown falling ill or disability loss due to death no preparation so there okay. is no uncertainty we don't know when it is coming
3: That's correct no? the uncertainty is not in eventually losing life the uncertainty is in when when and that's how the business of insurance operates right People come together and insure themselves for the purpose of securing a better, bigger benefit when the time comes. But the insurance company knows that not everyone is going to die at the same time. And so the uncertainty is when, guy. Yeah. So here is where this whole business of insurance figures, right? Your job is to take your client from where he is right now to where he wants to go. And if you ask your client in the business of building wealth, who are you building wealth for? If his answer is for myself, right, then does he have a need for insurance? If he's building it primarily for himself, when his wealth does not have to go beyond him, when his life is over, everything's over for him because it was just for him. But if he answers you, I'm building wealth for the people that matter to me. I'm building wealth for the people that I love. I look at the wealth that I'm building as the definition of my legacy in the lives of the people that I'm going to leave behind. That changes the picture completely. Why? Because even if he does not make it to the finish line, even if he does not reach his destination, because he may actually be prematurely taken out, right? If he was building wealth in the first place for the family that he loves, he'd like to be sure that he may be gone, but his family continues on in reaching that destination. So what are you doing for him? What are you doing for him? You are protecting his time. You are guaranteeing his time. That's what the business of insurance does. Whether you make it to the finish line or not, sir, I can guarantee you your family will because your income will be protected and the wealth that you build will be secured at the end of that journey, whether you are there or not. So guys, as financial advisors, we are in the business of protecting time. We cannot protect anyone from losing his life. That's not our job. And no one can do that except God, right? But what we'd like to guarantee is in our job as the guides of the client and his family in their journey towards wealth. Whether a client makes it or not, we will guarantee that his family will. And that's the reason why it's very important at the start of any engagement that you should ask your client, who are you building wealth for? Because if a client typically will say, just for myself, I can assure you that in many, many instances, he will not believe in insurance as well because insurance is never for you only. It is protecting the time that you are sure will at some point come to an end. You just don't know when. Correct? So here's my question. Okay. We are in the business of protecting time. Then, can you tell me what is the single event in our lives? Which, if it arises, can potentially put an end to our wealth journey. Can stop time and say, "Game over for you, my good friend Noel." What is that single event that we that can potentially undermine the entire journey of our family and ourselves? Na ito, game over Sickness, 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 critical illness. That's correct, uh, Guy, I'd like you to focus your attention on the screen, okay? If you're a typical Filipino, this is what is going to happen to your life. If running out of time is the biggest risk to wealth building, then the biggest risk to our time is you getting sick. Why? Because if you're a Filipino in the Philippines, this is what will happen to you. Look at the screen, guy. Nine out of 10 times, you will die from illness. You will die from illness. What does that mean? Take note of the sequence. You will get sick before you die. Before you die. And this is a problem, because if you're a Filipino in the Philippines, you will not have any significant treatment funding source that will allow you to be treated for your illness. And so getting sick is the single biggest financial catastrophe that your client and his family can encounter in their lives. Now, look at it. Look at the top ten. You will notice one, two, three are all illnesses. Number three is cancer. Number one is heart attack. Number five is accident. That's the only non-illness-related cause in the top ten. Now, why is this very important? Just take note of the sequence. Nagkasakit bago namatay. Right? So, kung magkakasakit ka at treatment funding source, sino magbabayad ng pagpapagamot mo? Sino magbabayad? Right? And, and that, my friends, is the reason why every time I say this, and I've been saying this for a very long time now, if you're a Filipino in the Philippines, you have a health care problem. Because you got nothing. You got nothing to fall back on. You have no one to tie you over financially when you get sick. Now, some of you will say, yeah, but I have feel health, right? I have feel health. And let me take a look at some of the answers here. Okay. Okay. Now, what if you have field health? And to be fair, not to be fair, this government has actually passed the universal health care bill that now makes every Filipino eligible for health care cover with only one condition, and that is you must be a Filipino citizen. Now, that is a significant step forward for many people who for the longest time did not have cover. So we are grateful for that, right? But that's just one dimension of the whole healthcare complex. The other, and perhaps more important, is Sure, I'm covered. Sure, you're covered. But what is the extent of coverage? What is the extent of coverage? And let me say this again. I keep on saying this. You may have heard me say this before. For those of you who are probably hearing me for the first time, this will not be the last time I'm going to be saying this to you. But this is important. And and so I'll say it again. Okay, guys? Sure, you have healthcare coverage. But what can you expect from real health the moment you get sick? The moment you get sick talk about cancer, for example. Now, if you're a woman, if you're a Filipina, you have pill health, and you get sick of breast cancer, you will be eligible for 100000 in maximum benefit. But any other cancer will give you only 20000 If you're a man, you get prostate cancer, that's 100000 But any other cancer is 20000 And if you're a child, you get childhood leukemia, this 100,000, but any other cancer is 20,000. Now, let's be honest with each other here. 20,000 is not going to keep you alive. 20,000 is not going to heal you from whatever malady or ailment you're suffering from. In fact, 20,000 may not even get you treated at all, right? And so if you're a typical Filipino and all you have is feel health, at the first instance of illness, that's all you can expect, okay? From health to sickness, health will eventually get depleted. And you all know what's, what PhilHealth is going through right now, right? I, I can tell you this. Now, yesterday, I was speaking to a group of doctors across the country. I was uh, the, the sponsor of my talk was the pharmaceutical company. And one of the biggest problems, that hospitals are encountering right now is they are running really low on cash because PhilHealth has actually made it very difficult for them to get uh, reimbursement. And that's because PhilHealth is running ridiculously low of resources as well. I'm not gonna go into that as a different topic altogether, but I'm telling you that PhilHealth is not gonna keep you alive. On average, it will provide a support funding mechanism of anywhere between 8 to 12 percent of your bill, that's it. The balance is your problem, and, and that's the reason why, and I'd like for you to know this stuff. Huh? Nine out of ten people in this country actually die without seeing a doctor. We have a healthcare system that is grossly inadequate in addressing the needs of the citizens in this country, right? So you cannot in conscience say, I have ill health, and actually think that you are out of trouble, because you're only beginning, okay? And what happens when your illness progresses to critical illness? When your sickness progresses to critical illness, then you realize you're in trouble. And at this stage, when sickness progresses to critical illness, that's when HMO begins to play a role, okay? But here's the problem, guys. Out of the 109 million people in this country, only five million people have HMO. Have HMO. And even if you have HMO, it does not mean you have no problems anymore. You know why? Okay, if, if you're if you're a top executive like like Mr. Chris here and Miss Orange here, you can probably expect three, four, five hundred thousand from your HMO, HMO in terms of annual maximum benefit. But if your staff or you're you know, ranked and file, you're looking at 40,000, 50,000, 100,000 sometimes. So, on average, all those 5 million people are looking at an average of only 90,000 maximum benefits per year. I can tell you that 90,000 runs out very quickly. In fact, 90,000 will not get you a diagnosis for cancer. Let me tell you this, guys. The global incidence, universal incidence for cancer is one for every 1,800 people. What does that mean? One for every 1,800 people cutting across all segments of age, race, uh, a gender. That means simply for every 1,800 people in the world, one will get cancer. However, if you segmentize by age and you reach 50 years old, the incidence goes up from one for every 800. And that's the reason why as you grow older, you will hear more and more often of friends and associates and relatives and acquaintances getting cancer. Because as you grow older, the incidence of cancer actually rises. The moment you hit 65, that incidence goes up to one for every 400. And so if you look at the global incidence, In the Philippines, that translates to an annual affliction rate of 68,000 people each year. 68,000 people getting cancer each year. Okay, here's the problem. Of those 68,000 people getting cancer each year, only 15,000 people get diagnosed. Why? The others don't have money. So you know what happens? So you get 68,000 people with cancer. Only 15,000 people get diagnosed. You know what happens? The 53,000 people who have cancer and don't get diagnosed, they, don't, they die without even knowing they had cancer. So we are having a healthcare conversation now, guys, and I'm trying to impress on you the primacy and the importance of having this conversation with your client. Because if you're a Filipino in the Philippines, you have a healthcare problem. So you know the 15,000 people who get diagnosed, only 8,000 people start treatment. And out of the 8,000 people who start treatment, only 4,000 people finish treatment. So if the critical illness proceeds and becomes terminal, this is when you're in serious uh, trouble. I was about to say something uh, that I shouldn't say. Good thing I caught myself one time. Okay. Serious trouble. Why? It is at this stage when you're probably thinking of selling your house. It is at this stage when you're telling your kids to stop going to school because resources have to be redirected to treatment, right? And finally, when terminal illness ends in death, death is merciful. Death is merciful, right? Guys, I'd like you to understand one thing. All of these things, all of these stages, all of these expenses are being incurred even before you are eligible for death benefits. What does that mean? Even if you took out an insurance policy on your life, since you're going to get sick before you die, the proceeds of that insurance policy will not go to your family. The proceeds of the policy will go to your doctor, will go to your hospital, will go to people you borrowed money from. And that's, that wasn't your intention. You may have invested a little amount of money, a big sum of money, but that money is not going, going to go to your family because when you got sick, you were trying to stay alive physically, even as you were trying to stay alive financially, and you borrowed money and you had nothing by way of treatment funding. And so you took out a debt, and your family will have to pay that debt when you die, and you're going to die anyway. So, what am I telling you? The business of healthcare. This conversation should happen even before life and investment. I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating for this because this is my specific line of expertise, okay? I'm advocating for this because this is the truth, that you're going to get sick before you die. You know, okay, let me, let me tell you a story since we have a bit more time. Huh? So I work as a healthcare consultant for many companies. And in one of those companies, I got a call from their president, who happened to be a foreign, requesting for a meeting. And so this guy says, uh, calls me and says, hey, John, can we, can we have a meeting? I have a problem I need to consult you with. So I went there, and I talked with him, and I said, hey, Urs, that's his name. So what's the problem? And he goes, well, here, here's my situation. I have this employee, single mother of four. Open and shut case, diagnosed with cancer. They opened her up, terminal case, nothing can be done. Advanced stage, they closed her, waiting to die. And I asked him, So, where is she now? And he goes, She's at home, she can't report for work anymore because she is terminally ill. And I go, So, what's the problem? And he goes, Well, this morning I got an email from Germany directing me to terminate her. And I said, well, she's no longer reporting for work. So rightfully, you should terminate. And he said, you don't understand. Her only wish is to remain an employee until she's dead so that her four kids, four kids who have no father and are now about to lose a mother, can be eligible for the 800000 group life insurance that she will get if she dies as an employee. Now, with the termination order, she will be cut off from the employee list before her death. And that will deprive her kids of that sum of money, a sum of money that she believes will be a lifeline for her children. This is a dying employee's wish. And that's what he told me. And I asked him, so what if you don't terminate? And he says, I can lose my job. And I said, you know what, course, You don't have many options there. Because even if you don't terminate, in the insurance contract, it states that if an employee is not actively at work for six consecutive weeks, she will be taken out of the list. So this is what you can probably do, my recommendation. You can probably put her on unpaid leave in substantial compliance with the directive of your headquarters and tell them once the unpaid leave runs out, you will terminate her. And let's hope for the best. And you know what he does? He puts her on unpaid leave and pays her salary out of his own pocket. In five weeks, she was dead. And her family and her kids got the group life insurance benefits. Now, why am I telling you this story, guys? Why am I telling you this story? Because this happens every day in this country. If you're a Filipino in the Philippines, you've got nothing by way of treatment funding. You have a health care problem. And if you get sick, no matter what you do in your journey towards wealth, you will be robbed of that time. And if you don't prepare, it will also rob your family of their time. Because the burden of illness means that your family will continue paying for what you could not afford while you were still alive. It drops them of opportunities. It drops them of time. Remember, our business as financial advisors is to guarantee that time. That whether the client makes it to the finish line or not, we will guarantee him that his family, for whom he is building wealth, will get there. That's our job. Is that clear? Okay. So, and here's the worst part, guys. Not that I'm happy about it. As if it's bad enough, it's not bad enough that we have no treatment funding. We have the highest medical inflation rate in the whole of Asia Pacific. That is terrible, you know why? Because many of the countries in the list actually fund healthcare from government spending. Well, in the Philippines, 68% of all healthcare spent is coming from private pockets and yet we have the highest inflation rate, okay? So, guys, at the end of the day, let me tell you that the biggest risk in the wealth journey is the client himself. You can talk all you want about the risk of putting money in stocks and putting money in bonds. You're talking of one or two or 3%, but if you're not going to address the risk of the individual to himself, you're losing a 100%. 100%. 100%, okay? So we are in the business of, solving a pro- of selling a problem. The moment you're able to convince your client that he has a problem, that's the only time he will consider a solution. And the single biggest problem that every Filipino is willing to acknowledge at this point is that he has a healthcare problem. So that is the first conversation you must be having. I realize that many of you are not comfortable having the conversation, but have a conversation with yourself. And then you'll realize that every client needs to have that conversation with you. So guys, I'm concluding my talk by telling you that at the end of the day, the first order of business in the journey towards wealth is to secure time. And what is the biggest risk to that time? It is getting sick. So that is the first problem that we will tackle. Buy him that time, protect his time, secure that time, because whether he makes it to the finish line or not, your promise, your guarantee as a financial advisor is that his family for whom he is building wealth will complete the journey for it. That's all I have for you guys today. Thank you very much for this opportunity. I know we will have some questions, but uh, uh, I'd like to again thank you for, for, for listening in, and we can probably start the Q and A now. Back to you, Emma. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, Jong, for that meaningful talk. No, kahit ako personally, no, I have been, um, I have been. Uh, I've listened to you, you know, before, but and yet every time I hear you, kini-kinilab conversation nato. And um, I'm sure our uh, participants here, our contributors, our colleagues in the head office are very um, thankful also that you uh, imparted us this message. No. So now let's see, um, guys. Our Q and A is now open. So if you do have any questions, you can type them in the Q and A box where We can read it.
3: Wow, there's so many, many messages. Pala. I, couldn't, I couldn't see them earlier, but, uh, yeah, yeah. but thank you. Thank you. Yeah, 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 they had
2: a lot of insight uh, and they agreed you know, to what you were saying. Talaga, very passionate. Okay. No? Very, um, that's why we stayed as a very good learning session. Ayan. So guys, if you have any questions for Jong, you can type them in the Q&A box Or if you want, you can raise your hand so that we can just unmute you. Ayan. parang hold on, let me check again. Okay, jong parang feeling ko ano sila, speechless sila sa <laughs> speechless sila sa talk mo. Um, they're still absorbing what you said, but um, let me just re- read through the chat box, no? Um, since you weren't able to see while you were talking, no. Sabi dito, Agnes said, "I learned a lot for being a new agent." So. Just so you know, John, we have a lot of new advisors and agents who just recently joined and got coded. So this is a very good um, opportunity for them to learn more. Yeah. And you have given clarity and emphasized the nobility of our role as financial advisors. And there is a question in the chat box. So let me read first from Lilybeth Maderia. Hi, Lilybeth, if you're there. Do you prefer, John, for you, do you prefer for Filipinos to get HMO first or critical illness coverage if the budget is tight?
3: Oh, I know, Lilybeth. Hi, Lilybeth. Nice to hear from you. Okay. That's a typical question, no? Should you buy HMO first or should you buy critical illness first? Now, if you look at the progression of the illness earlier, you will realize that it's not an either or an or. Right? It is an and. And the reason being you need still health, you need HMO, you need critical illness, you need life insurance. That's how you cover the entire funding gap. Because at different stages of your illness, you will need different funding sources. Now, it's good that you were able to come up with the the qualifier at the end said, wala enough money to buy both. Then What should come first? Okay, so let me be very clear about the definition, okay? HMO primarily is there for treatment funding. It will provide unlimited consultations, unlimited diagnostics, it will provide inpatient treatment, but if you don't get treated, you get nothing. Now, here's the problem. When you get critically ill, your needs go beyond just treatment. And that's what critical illness insurance or benefits can provide, you know why? When your HMO is depleted, the critical illness serves two functions. And that is, number one, to augment whatever your HMO does not cover. And second, second, is to replace the income you are not earning because you are not working because you're sick. Right? So here's the reality here. Not enough money to buy both. I'm not going to say you should buy critical illness because that's, that's what you have. In your insurance company. The rule of thumb when it comes to risk planning is you always go with a bigger risk first. If you compare the cost of HMO and life uh, and, and critical illness on a per peso basis, you will realize that the critical illness benefits will provide more in terms of peso benefit compared to HMO. So if you try to cover the bigger risk first, that means there are two risks that you are not covering with critical illness. And that is number one, you would like to cover income replacement and number two, treatment funding. That's what critical illness benefits will give you. That's what you go with first. If you have to choose between HMO and critical illness, then ideally you should not choose. But if you have to choose, you get more bang for your buck per peso getting a critical illness plan, because you can somehow find a way to replace the HMO benefit, but you cannot find a way to do that on your own if you're talking about the value of the critical illness. So that's how you explain that to your client, no? Peso for peso, for every 20,000, you'll probably get 100, 200,000 of maximum benefit in HMO you'll probably get 1 or 2 million in benefit from critical illness. Ma mo ng paraan yung 100 200,000, hindi mo mahahanap ng paraan yung 1 or 2 million. So you secure the bigger risk first. That's my answer. Hopefully that was helpful to you Lilibeth. Although I know you already know that.
2: Okay, another question Jong, um, from an anonymous attendee. How much should one have as their health fund
3: card? Okay, you know, I had this conversation with Orange and Giselle a few months back, and one of my observations really is when it comes to health funding, there's no formula. Now, unlike life, it's based on income. Unlike retirement, based on lifestyle. But when it comes to healthcare, care, there's no formula, okay? So here's a step-by-step. This can be helpful. When you're talking critical illness, because... You're actually talking about an event that will happen in the future, but you should prepare for it if it happens tomorrow, right? So whatever amount you take out should be responsive to your requirements even after 10 or 15 years. So what does this mean? When it comes to insurance, you will at some point in your life cross the invisible line of insurability. Meaning you cannot say, I'm just going to build it up over time because I don't need it yet anyway. The rule of thumb is always, if you can secure all your requirements in the next 10, 15 years today, then you do it today. because it's, it's cheapest at this time. No? So there's no rule of thumb, but try to anticipate what you are most predisposed to suffer from. Get the cost of that particular procedure today. Say for cancer, a safe bet will be a million bucks. Apply medical inflation, which is high in the Philippines, and you you forecast that 10-15 years down the road, then you're probably looking at six, seven, eight million. That will provide you with adequate cover tomorrow, all the way down to the 10th year of your life. Hopefully, that will be helpful now because each one would have a profile, but it's always good to stock up now knowing that there's no guarantee that you can still obtain the coverage down the road of your life. So thank you.
2: Okay, so um, another question, John, from Paul John Caringal. You said our growth was great. How does that work? Because building and innovations at that time were not wiped out.
3: Again, again, um, I didn't get the question.
2: i uh, uh, Paul, maybe you can also clarify a question, but he said initially, you said our growth was erased. How does yeah. that work? Because building and innovations at that time were not wiped
3: out. You're talking of an economy. Okay, so how do you measure growth? When you say you measure growth, it comes in the form of GDP, right? Growth, gross domestic product. So, for those of you who are not familiar, gross domestic product is nothing more than the total or accumulated economic transactions in one country. When you measure year-on-year growth, it simply means what's the total output for 2018 and what's the total output for 2019, correct? So the difference between 2018 and 2019 is your growth for one year. Now, if 2020 is suffering from a tremendous economic downturn, that means that economic activity, John Paul, is down. You don't need to erase buildings. You don't need for people to die. You're talking of growth in economic terms. And so how do you measure growth? GDP. If your downturn is more than the growth of 2019 over 2018, that's how you erase it. Thank you.
2: All right, thank you. Um, another one, Jong. One of the reasons, medyo mahaba tanong from an anonymous attendee. One of the reasons why I have decided to become a financial advisor It's because I experienced the same scenarios that was discussed a while ago. And I was crying because I know how it feels to become a Filipino with a very poor healthcare system. There was just so much information that I wanted to record from your presentation. Do you have any book recommendations that we can read so that we can also contemplate more about the things that you have discussed about healthcare information?
3: I can't recommend a book. Maybe I should write that (laughs) then. But, but. You see, here's, here's the thing. Um, we, we do not really value the health of our people in this country so much. What, what makes me say that? Let me share with you an experience I had. A few years ago, I was invited to be a speaker in an international healthcare convention. And I was speaking for the private sector while the representative for the public sector was the president of health. And you know the realization. If you look at the American budget, the American national budget, you will find out that 28% of the American budget is dedicated to healthcare, dedicated to healthcare. You know how much of the Philippine budget dedicated to healthcare as of last year? It was 1.7%. So that measly big figure already tells you the value or the importance we put on healthcare as a determinant of the dignity and quality of life of Filipinos. No? So it does not figure to change very soon because I'm telling you, field health is not even dedicated to providing 100% offer. They're a support funder only. No? So, so what, what am I saying? Um, there's no single book that will tell you the healthcare situation in this country. It's, and you will encounter many, many technical studies that will tell you how best Like recently, I was invited to speak before doctors to determine the burden of illness cost. You know, that's a technical term, by the way, guys. Burden of illness. So what is the burden of illness? It's an economic measure of the opportunities that families who are left behind are robbed of because there was no treatment funding to start with and that they have to look not only for treatment funding, but they have to give up opportunities for that treatment funding to to happen. So maybe in the course of your career as a financial advisor, you will accumulate enough stories. You can systematically put them together and come up with your own narrative. But uh, the numbers that that matter, I already gave to you, it's really putting yourself out there and making an impact in the lives of your clients and in the lives of people. And you will realize that one by one, family by family, each time they secure a funding source, each time they secure their lives with insurance, you will, make, you will have made your contribution to this country. And that's the big thing. So thank you for your question.
2: Do you think the Philippines should get healthcare plan from a renowned insurance company rather than a current government-owned corporation, aka PhilHealth, where corruption is rampant?
3: Um, okay. The sad thing is, uh, it's a no-brainer. You have to get it from a private company now. No? And in fact, every family's financial portfolio, like I said, no? passionately should be anchored on the ability to secure funding treatment when a family member gets sick. That's the first and foremost priority, and. In the absence of any government uh, options, it's best that we get it from, from private uh, providers like, like Allianz. Allianz is a good choice for you.
2: Thank you for that, John. And yeah. uh, John, there's another question from Paul. Um, where can we purchase your book?
3: Oh, no, no, no. I, I don't have a book on health I do have a book on uh, private wealth management. It's, uh, you can buy it from fully book, but uh, I won't recommend that you go to fully booked right now physically and unfortunately there is no e-version or electronic version of the book but when things are a little better and you feel safer going out you can buy that at uh fully book, not national bookstore or or uh or uh, what's the other one uh i forget now but fully book. that's where i
2: i think they have it probably online through lazada or shopee <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah.
3: Hopefully.
2: Yeah. Hopefully. All right, so may nag-comment sa chat box, please write the book. The <laughs> healthcare, I think they're talking about. That. Yeah, as a part know,
3: from
2: coming the welfare It's mindset. not about healthcare, so I'll
3: keep you posted.
2: All right, thank you. Okay.
3: Yeah.
2: Um, it, uh, yeah okay, okay. All right, so thank you for that, Jong. So guys, kung may are questions, you have all the news in chat box, but it's okay. Um, In case that we will have more questions after the webinar, you can message me and I'll direct it to Jong so I can share it back to you. But um, so of course, Jong, for one, we are very thankful for um, the opportunity that you that you gave us. And despite your very busy month of September, I know know you have a lot of engagement. So again, maraming maraming salamat, Jong, for giving time for Allianz, for our distributors, life changers, and our colleagues as well. So, and we yeah. hope to see you again. I think we will see you again very soon this month, if not mistaken. Yes, no? <laughs> yes. we'll
3: see each other yes. again. But let me, let me yes. take the opportunity again to thank uh, Chris and, and Orange, Miss O, and Giselle, and you, Emma. You know, I, I always, you know, I, I, you, you're, you're very good friends to me. And I'm grateful for this opportunity. And I'm, look, I'm looking forward to doing it again for your clients. I think we have one schedule towards the end of the month. Looking forward to doing that. And by that time, yes. guys, maybe advisors, uh, you can invite your clients so that it'll be easier for you to make that sale. So thank you very much. Uh, all the best and take yeah. care, everybody.
2: Jong, sorry lang. One last question. Very important sure. question. Yeah. So um, from John Paulo Asayas, in the bank assurance setup where insurance solutions are considered as alternative bank product, bank clients avail VUL. Please let me know your thoughts on how we should engage or at least introduce I uh, introduce the significance of healthcare planning.
3: Okay. Um, like I said, uh, healthcare takes precedence over all other instruments because of when it happened. Take note, uh, healthcare means that you're going to get sick before you die. And so it's very simple. If, if you need to engage in a conversation with your client, you ask only one very important question. And that is. Who will get who'll pay if you get sick? Who will pay? Because it's not till health who will pay. No one will pay. So at the end of the day, he has to fend for himself. And so if he is interested in investments and he's interested in insurance, and you ask him the question, who will pay if you get sick? And no one will pay, then you tell him, you know what? I'm afraid your investment and your insurance which you're hoping will go to your family, will not go to your family. It will go to your doctor. It will go to your hospital. It will go to the people that you borrow money from. Your insurance and investment will pay for this. And so what will happen to your family? So that's a good conversation to have. You know, at the end of the day, guys, insurance is never a technical conversation. It's always a conversation about the people that matter. Okay, so hopefully that's uh, helpful to you. Thank
2: you. All right. Thank you so much, Jong, for that. And again, we will see you again very soon. So again, guys, a round warm virtual applause for Mr. Jong Merida.
1: Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. We'd like to hear from you. How can you help our country solve the challenges in our healthcare? For guests listening to our podcast, if you like what you hear and you want to be a life changer, drop us a message on our official Facebook page at Alliance BNB Life. Stay tuned for another episode of Caffeine Boost brewed by Alliance BNB Life. On behalf of Emma and Giselle from Distribution Training, this is Candace, wishing you and your family a great weekend. Stay safe and healthy.
3: Alliance, Alliance, Alliance. As you dare to make your life a masterpiece, we're with you. Alliance. The name is Alliance. Not Alliance, but Alliance PNB Life Insurance. Dare to. We're with you. For more information, visit AlliancePNBLife.ph.
0: The information, opinions, and recommendations presented in Caffeine Boost are for general information only and any reliance on the information provided in this podcast is done at your own risk this podcast does not constitute an offer to buy or sell any Allianz pnb life product or service and should not be regarded as a solicitation invitation or recommendation to enter into any investment transaction or any other form of financial planning this podcast should not be considered professional advice Allianz pnb life makes no warranty guarantee or representation as to the accuracy or sufficiency of the information featured in caffeine boost allianz pnb life expressly disclaims any and all liability or responsibility for any direct indirect incidental special consequential or other damages arising out of any individual's use of reference to reliance on or inability to use this podcast or the information presented in this podcast The contents of Caffeine Boost are the property of Allianz PNB Life. Users of this podcast may save and use information contained in the podcast only for personal or other non-commercial purposes. No other use of this podcast may be made without the prior written permission of Allianz PNB Life.